companies that realize that it's going to be a short-lived correction are going to use that as an opportunity because that is typically what happens during these times where corrections happen. Companies that have the foresight and know, hey, this is going to be a six to 12 month downturn, but I'm going to capitalize on that, make the right investments to build the right infrastructure to capitalize on whatever comes next. I think those are the ones that are going to Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Recent economic events have taught us that supply chain is much deeper than most people think. These events, regardless of whether macro or microeconomic, have potential to throw off the supply chain planning. And it requires careful calibration and cross-functional collaboration. So the supply chain professionals have data they need to take preventive measures to ensure that you are prepared for supply chain disruptions before it's too late. In today's episode, our guest, Michael Van Kulen, also known as MBK, shares his insights on the current supply chain trends and opportunities. He also discusses the procurement maturity model for companies at various stages and what companies that are successful with their procurement and supply chain do differently. Finally, he discusses macroeconomic trends and their impact on the supply chain planning for the companies in the short term and long term. Let me introduce MVK to you. MVK is a passionate and seasoned procurement evangelist with a comprehensive track record of driving value through business transformation at global companies. MVK is currently the chief procurement officer at Coupa Software, the global leader in cloud-based business spend management software, where he is responsible for driving best-in-class procurement practices across the company, support business development, and be a source for peers looking to elevate and digitally transform procurement. With that, let's get to the conversation. Michael. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Super excited to have you because the kind of environment that we have as of today for supply chain procurement, it's changing on a daily basis. So it's going to be so much fun discussing that. Before we do that, do you want to start with a quick intro about yourself and what is your current focus, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. So again, a pleasure to be here, Sam. Uh, my name is Michael Van Keulen, or or some of your listeners will know me as MVK. I am currently the Chief Procurement Officer at Coupa Software, uh, and I'm, I'm proud to be the CPO here at, at uh, the leading business spend management company in the world. Um, I've been in procurement and supply chain for over 20 years now. Uh, I've led procurement transformation and digitized the procurement process twice. Uh, and I'd say, you know, this is the third time that I've picked Coupa in my career, uh, and this time also as my employer of choice. Okay. 
Very cool. So obviously, we are going to have fun discussing all of those current supply chain issues that we have. Uh, but we have one more standard question that we ask every single guest that come on the show, and that is going to be Michael, your perspective on business growth. My perspective on business growth. Well, I I genuinely believe uh, that in order for your business to thrive. Uh, you're going to have to have really great cross-functional support and alignment between the various functions. And what I mean with that is you obviously need a great product, a great service, something that sets you apart, some unique selling points. Um, But I legitimately believe that you're going to have to have really great cross-functional alignment between your supply chain, uh, your finance organization, your treasury, your IT, your business, and procurement in order to fully capitalize on the opportunity that you have. So, you know, without great governance, compliance, control, you're never going to optimize uh, the business spend that you have in order to fuel your growth. Uh, You also need to have great innovation. You can drive a lot of innovation through your supply chain. And we'll get to that topic in a second. But I legitimately believe in, in, you know, the best businesses in the world have the ability to break down the silos between those functional areas uh, and truly create a cross-functional collaborative model that drives better business outcomes and ultimately fuels your growth. And, I, and I've seen this many times in my career. Amazing perspective there. And I completely agree with your assessment that the cross-functional nature is probably going to drive the growth. And you are absolutely right. But in my experience, when I look at the supply chain, right now, I think people are realizing based on the current trends that, okay, supply chain is far deeper than they used to think. For them, supply chain was always, you know, somewhere in the corner, just doing a bunch of planning and that's it done, right? But now people are realizing that, no, it's really deep. It's very cross-functional. So let's talk about some of the current issues that we are experiencing in the market uh, at this point of time. Michael, what do you think is driving these supply chain issues? Do you want to touch briefly on those? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I I think at first it's, it's important to understand that the you know, the supply chain disruption that we're seeing today yeah. are, are truly being compounded uh, by the many historical events uh, that have been happening. Now, we talk about COVID. Obviously, that's a natural one uh, that everybody gravitates towards. But there's been other uh, historic events uh, that have happened over the past 24 months. I mean, we've seen natural disasters uh, with climate. Uh, we've seen droughts. We've seen forest fires. We've seen uh, uh, hurricanes and things of that nature weather patterns are changing, uh, but we've also seen the Suez Canal uh, that created significant disruption uh, and has really led to uh, significant changes in the way we we ocean ocean freight things these days. I mean, there's yeah. been still an aftermath of that. Uh, of course, what's happening in the Ukraine and the tragedies that are happening uh, with war, uh, but we've also seen trade uh, disruption. We've seen China with the US and with you know, across the world. So my point is, there's been lots of disruption. And yes, COVID has been one of the ones uh, as well. But so I think it's important that we realize that. I think the second thing we need to realize is that the supply chains that we've built over the past 50 years after, let's say, the Second World War, uh, and, you know, and has been continued uh, over the past, you know, 30, 50 years, whatever, pick a number, uh, has always been focused on taking out costs. We've right. consistently been focused on efficiency in our supply chain and efficiency typically was calculated by cost per unit. Um, And so what has now has happened is we've come really far with efficiency, but we we have not really been focused on resilience and agility. 
Yeah. And and I think where procurement has the opportunity to stand up and lead, especially in a market today that's uncertain, unprecedented, high inflation, massively disrupted, is that we provide our businesses with optionality. And I think for the longest time, that was less relevant. Uh, it was mostly around cost. And what you just said, we were stuck in the dungeon and we just made sure business continuity was was a guarantee almost, like was a, was a given. Now that has changed. And so procurement and supply chain have that ability to to drive optionality, to build agility, to build resilience in their supply chain, uh, and particularly in a in a hyperinflationary market that we're in yeah. today, yeah. Uh, spend visibility and control are absolutely paramount. And and what we're seeing is, especially uh, across the globe, there's still a lot of companies uh, that are struggling with having that that end to end spend visibility. Uh, it's still a very siloed approach. Upstream with sourcing, downstream with finance in the middle with procurement, and then at the back end, you got the treasurer, and around that, you got the business. And so companies that have not really built and started to think about agility and resilience in a better way, um, yeah, they are going to struggle, and they will continue to struggle, and they will continue to be reactive, reacting to what's going on, which typically means you're too late, rather than being proactive and really looking at what alternatives are out there and the what-if scenarios. Um, and, and I've seen firsthand what it can do to a business in a positive way. I mean, uh, in, in my past, we've done a lot of that. Um, but I also know there's a lot of companies that are, are still struggling and figuring it out. Yeah. So some very interesting commentary there. And I really like the way you have put it uh, overall, planning the reactive versus proactive. And in today's supply chain, obviously, um, you need to be a lot more proactive uh, if you want to be prepared, because at this point of time, yeah. I think the costs are changing on a minute basis. So I don't know how any company can really plan and what companies are doing at this point of time. So I don't know if you're going to have any specific story that you might be able to pick uh, in terms of what they might be able to do. So one of the comments that you mentioned that, okay, uh, you should be doing a lot more what-if analysis. So if I do what-if analysis, that is going to be as of this moment. Okay, it's going to be really hard to predict what is going to happen in the next four months? Because we were thinking, if you think about, you know, previous four months, we were thinking, okay, maybe COVID is going to be gone in 2022, but it's still here, right? And then we have far more problems now in 2022. So how do you sort of plan for this in your experience? Let's say you are thinking. Yeah, long. you know, like, I mean, of course, nobody can predict the future because if we can, I wouldn't do what I do today. Exactly. Uh, but what you can do is you can create what if scenarios by, for example, creating a digital twin of your supply chain. So what we have is we have customers that use uh, Coupa's uh, uh, supply chain design and optimization uh, yep. platform um, to create a digital twin of your supply chain. And what that does is it allows you to run a whole slew of scenarios based upon whatever constraints you have, based upon whatever scenario you're planning. Um, and then you'll let the technology based upon your supply chain, your, your digital twin, uh, calculate and, and provide you with a set of outcomes based on data. So data-driven so, um, uh, solutions, data-driven data scenarios. So think about it as a, uh, you know, Madav, who is one of our supply chain gurus at, at Coupa. Uh, he talks about it as a pilot in a, um, in a um, simulator. The first time that you fly a, a 787, it's not going to be when you literally get on a plane and fly a 787. No, you've done thousands of hours in a, in a flight simulator. Um, so think of it as that. You know, when you build your supply chain, you cannot possibly predict the future. Nobody knows if COVID 
you know, I mean, knock on wood, uh, you know, comes back in the fall. Who knows? Or if it's not COVID, it could be a recession. Yeah. It could be, what if the inflation rate goes to 25%? What if the cost of capital goes up even higher? I mean, right now, I think we're at like 5% or so in the Western world. What if that goes to 20? You know, what if, um, you know, the Federal Reserve in the US makes certain decisions to tighten monetary policies further? And, you know, like, what if the job market goes, uh, what if unemployment becomes uh, 10% and you are in a retail environment? Then what? You know, so my point is what a lot of companies do uh, that are using our technology is they, they do a digital, they create a digital twin of their supply chain and they run all these scenarios and then they make fact-based decisions. And, and that's ultimately what you have to do. Amazing scenarios there. And obviously, it's going to be a lot of uncertainty even in the next coming months. Uh, as we are thinking about the current issues, I mean, I don't think issues are going to be done anytime soon. And let's say if I'm thinking more from the business owner perspective, uh, you know, some of these issues could be really extreme because we don't know how this is all going to shape up, right? So, and, you know, let's say if I'm thinking this more from the, the business owner perspective, then I don't know if I can plan for all of those. Issues. So let's say, Michael, let's say if you had some sort of realistic Okay, these are the issues that you are definitely seeing in the next four months. Since, you know, you provided an example of 787 that, okay, if you fly 1,000 runs, then you probably know and you can forecast, okay, what problems you are probably going to get in the next flight, right? So based on your experience, let's say you were to forecast something, what is going to happen in next four months overall from the uh, macroeconomic issues? What would be the factors that you would be most worried about? Um, well, I, I think it's pretty obvious that um, what should have happened during COVID, I'm not an economist, yeah, but I can give you my, my transparent and candid opinion of what I think yeah, is going on. Yeah. What I think should have happened, and it's easy to say this in the rearview mirror, but I think uh, what we were trying to do is to, um, to get through COVID without it really impacting the, the real economy. And as a result of that, what governments have done is, you know, free money, uh, continue to print money, if you will. Uh, to try to to mitigate the economic implications uh, of COVID. Uh, that's, of course, a temporary solution. And I think it's without a doubt that we are going to see some sort of recession uh, in the next six to 12 months. Uh, typically, the stock market is always six to 12 months ahead of the real economy. Uh, of course, we've seen, you know, over the past, you know, three months or so, some significant correction in the stock market. Uh, we're seeing uh, inflation rates going up in double digit. Uh, we're seeing raw material prices going up significantly. But we're also seeing that a lot of large retailers are um, uh, announcing during their earnings release that their inventory levels are starting to get higher. So that means that to me that demand is starting to taper off. So typically what happens is I'm an old school economist. If demand starts to come down, rate of inflation is really, really high interest rates need to go up. That, of course, is not going to help the housing market. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? The cost of capital continues to go up. I, I see that uh, interest rates in some developed countries are going up by a factor of three or four over the past six months. So now affordability becomes an issue. So anyway, long story short, I think we are due for a recession. I think it'll be short. I don't think it'll be long. I don't think it's going to be you know three years. I think it'll be six to 12 months of some downturn. And I think that companies that realize that it's going to be a short-lived correction uh, are going to use that as an opportunity, because that is typically what happens during these times where 
um, corrections happen, companies that have the foresight and know, hey, this is going to be a six to 12 month downturn, um, but I'm going to capitalize on that, make the right investments to build the right infrastructure to capitalize on whatever comes next. I think those are the ones that are going to thrive. But there's no doubt in my mind that the next six to 12 months are going to see some, some pain. Yeah, so very interesting. And this is where the flight experience is going to be really handy. So, you know, when we had exactly. last two recessions, so I think you were practitioner back then as the procurement person. So I don't know, you know, how you prepared, let's say, in last two recessions. Do you have any insights for the business owners? So let's say whatever you have done for the last two, can they do similar things for this recession as they might be preparing for those? So what are some yeah, of the things I that you will take care of? I think you need to start to think about your lead times, okay. uh, first and foremost. That's the first thing I do. Look at the okay. lead times. When do I need to place my purchase orders? When do I need to buy stuff for it to land? And based on what volume am I going to buy? And then align with the business that I may want to be more conservative, uh, which may mean that I, if the demand continues to keep up, I may have to you know, incur additional costs to get stuff to wherever it is that I need it to get to faster, because then you're just going to have to pay for it. But it's better than the alternative of sitting on a bunch of inventory because during downtimes, we all know cash is king. Yeah. Uh, and so preserving cash is going to be extremely important. And so what we used to do was look at demand, take a more conservative approach and start to think about preserving cash during times of, you know, where things are going to be tough, because if you're going to be reliant on a lender during difficult times, you're, you're going to very quickly get into trouble. Uh, you're already seeing it with some of these, you know, Series C, Series B companies that were out there. A lot of them are no longer with us, unfortunately, because they were so reliant on PE uh, funding, which, you know, has been drying up at a very fast pace. So my point is, preserve cash is really critical in a, in a time of, of uncertainty. Uh, I think we need you need to take a more conservative approach to your demand, uh, maybe relook at lead time. But more importantly, talk to your suppliers, right? Talk to your suppliers. Your suppliers are having the same challenges as you have as your business of uncertainty. So maybe together with your suppliers, because that is one thing that I think has come out of COVID is or had the, 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 the past two years with the disruption in supply chain is that the realization you need to have a much closer partnership with your suppliers. Um, so work with your suppliers. Uh, go talk to them. Hey, what is happening in your world? What are you seeing? What are you seeing with your customers and maybe the, cost, the supplier's customers that you're working with? Um, so really open yourself up and not, not consider this like a four-wall uh, kind of uh, conversation. But I would encourage all these companies across the globe uh, to collaborate together. And, um, and I think if we do that, then uh, I, I think we, we will overcome whatever, whatever lies next. I, I believe it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it definitely does. I mean, this is what I would personally do, to be honest, okay, if I were the practitioner. And by the way, on that note, I think, you know, there's going to be a little bit of short-term and long-term perspective. And the, uh, if you look at, uh, you know, things such as your system, and that is always the tricky subject to discuss when you are going to have such uncertain environment. And then you talk a lot about the procurement. So obviously you need to do these things in short term that you just mentioned that you need to figure out your supply chain. But let's say if you if you don't have enough visibility in your supply chain, okay, what do you do? Do you implement your system first or do you try to understand your supply chain first? So do you want to touch a little bit more there in terms of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's there's one thing that I've had uh, that I'm passionate about, uh, I mean, there's a few things uh, professionally. I mean, uh, um, 
you know, it is procurement maturity. Um, and I've been fortunate enough in my career uh, together with a group. Yeah, it's never me, but it's, you know, I always, when I say I, I always talk about it in a, you know, it is always a team sport and it's definitely uh, multiple people that have been supportive. But procurement maturity is is something I'm passionate about and I've had the pleasure and, and the benefit of doing that a few times in my career. Um, what you often see is, you know, there are, in my brain, there are four levels of procurement maturity. Um, you know, level one, is you know very tactical uh very operational in nature it's very reactive rear view mirror kind of procurement right you're dealing yep. with invoices and you don't really have great spend visibility then the, the the second stage of procurement maturity is what we call sourcing strat sourcing mastery yep. uh so now you start to run some sourcing events and you do some rfps and you know you kind of understand requirements and you go into market and you drive some competitiveness then level three is, you know, category strategy. So you do demand management and category management and write category plans and go much deeper. And you start to understand tier two, tier three, supply chain and, and things of that nature. You're starting to blend in ESG and strategies around diversity and D&I and, and those types of things into your sourcing strategies to really support your organization's goals. And then stage four is innovation. You know, the biggest innovation you can drive is through the power of your supply chain. Um, so those are the four levels. But it always comes down to people, process, and technology. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it sounds very basic. Uh, and we have a really good ebook, and I'm happy to share with your listeners if they want it. Uh, we build an ebook that talks about people, process, technology with four stages of procurement maturity. Very simple, and any executive can understand it because often what what we struggle with in procurement is to articulate to our executive team what is procurement and why do we matter? Why do, why should they care about us? Now it's easy. But even, trust me, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, when all of this is behind us, yeah. it'll happen yeah, at some point in the near future, I hope, I'm a positive thinker, people are going to forget about procurement again. And in order for us to stay relevant, we have to continue to be focused on procurement maturity. And it's always those three things, um, you know, and best in class companies, yes, they have, you know, digitized their business spend management uh, process uh, with solutions like Coupa. Um, you know, I don't want to turn this into too much of a sales pitch. Um, but the other two elements are people and process. And you also need to have the right people. You need to have the right uh, mechanics, if you will, right, to to make sure the car is optimized. But you also need to have the right operating model and the right process. Uh, when does procurement get involved? That's not at the point where a contract has been negotiated with a supplier and here's procurement, here's the contract, get me a better deal. That's not procurement maturity, right? And so my point is, it needs to be all those three elements, and we can talk about this for hours. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's how I think about it. So very interesting. So obviously, one of the layers here is always going to be, okay, when do you start maturing your... So when you are looking at procurement maturity, procurement maturity for enterprises could mean very different thing than SMB, who might be struggling for cash at this point. So do you have any sort of insights in terms of how you will overlay this procurement maturity based on the inflection point i don't know uh, you know if you're going to have think like okay 50 100 250 million dollar a billion dollar so when do you start thinking about all of these spaces that okay when you are 100 million dollar you better get you know some sort of maturity around procurement so how yeah, do you approach this yeah yeah like like we don't i don't really think about size of business i what i i'm a finance guy by education yep. that's my background I think that the mistake that a lot of companies make is they invest a lot of time and energy in finance, uh, accounts payable, paying your invoices, booking your invoices in your general ledger, closing the books every month, uh, forecasting your spend, 
managing your inventory. I mean, we typically companies spend quite some resource in what I call downstream business spend management or procure to pay, right? Treasury, you know, we, most companies have a finance function. If you fully digitize your business spend management process, yeah. you don't need a ton of people in finance. Like a, a company that is $100 million in sales will, will very likely have at least four or five people in finance. Um, what if you only need two people and the other three are managing your spending, right? Which yeah. is what procurement does, business spend management. Uh, and what if you let that, 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 that downstream be automated and digitized by the power of technology. You no longer have to deal with administrative nonsense, right? Because what I, because some companies then automated by implementing OCR, right? They implement some OCR engine and they have documents be digitally approved through some, some kind of scanning engine. Trust me, I've been there, but that is still automating a flawed process because approving an invoice is kind of after the fact nonsense, right? It adds no value. What you want is the point of purchase. To me, it makes so much sense. You have to think like this, yeah? The point of purchase is what you want to approve. That should have governance, not the point of invoice. Because now you're reacting and you might say, hey, why did we buy this in the first place? Is the price correct? No, you can digitize that whole downstream process. We have customers that have 90 plus percent, and these are customers like Procter & Gamble, yeah? So these are not small companies. Uh, 90 plus percent of their invoice is fully digitized, fully electronic, touchless. That's where you want to go as a, as a business. Whether you're 10 billion in sales, 5 billion or 5 million, you know, that maybe does not need a procurement function. But you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really matter. It's simplification of processes that add no value. And then you can redeploy those, those resources into um, uh, value activities that do add to your, to your top line and, and, and to your bottom line. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, to be honest. And I completely agree that, you know, just cutting the invoices, what's the point of doing all of that? The systems can do, uh, you know, those are good, and those are the resources that you can really deploy in your customer experience, because the more customer facing be, that's where they are going to add real value. So I completely agree with your assessment there. So now we are going to add one more layer there overall from the industry perspective. So do you see any specific trend overall when you analyze the procurement maturity? When you look at industry one versus industry two, are some of the industries, do they need a lot more procurement maturity than the other? Do you see any specific uh, trend based on the industries? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a very interesting conversation. Yeah, and I might start to insult certain industries, so I need to be mindful. But we, <laughs> we have, uh, within Coupa, I should say, because I know the customers that we have. We have yeah. well over 3,000 customers. Yeah. Uh, we have 7 million suppliers plus, and we manage more than $3 trillion worth of spend through our platform. Uh, we have customers that are really large, like BMW, Procter & Gamble, uh, you know, and, you know, and the likes, I mean, we have a really long list uh, by now, and Amazon and others. We also have mid-market, what we call mid-market, uh, and then we have uh, corporate accounts. They, they, there's no industry that is very specific you know, we've got financials, we've got in, uh, insurance, we've got retail. We're very, very successful in retail. We've got lots of really great retail uh, customers out there. Uh, I think most large retailers uh, are Coupa customers or in the process of deploying us. Um, so, so it's not like we we don't. What I what I do see is that more um, like I'm going to call them old school, uh, highly Six Sigma over engineered uh, yeah. industries. Uh, they have the tendency to think uh, that they, you know, that they are best in class. 
Yeah. And we have some examples here. I don't have to mention them, but you know, the black belts, the, the you know, the six sigmas. Uh, I, I do believe there is, of course, lots of value there that, that these uh, companies bring to the table. But I think those are the ones that, you know, maybe still have some way to go when it comes to, you know, getting to 2022. And, and some have, um, but, you know, there's quite a few out there that I think uh, still need to make that shift. Uh, and if they're not careful, they're going to really suffer. Uh, you know, the auto industry is a great example of an industry, yeah. you know, that is feeling the pain of yeah. uh, we don't have to dwell on what's going on in the auto industry today. But and, and the cost uh, of, of having run that supply chain uh, too lean, uh, you know, too much focused on cost uh, and actually forgot to think about things like agility, resilience and, and, and maybe some some technology enablement. So let's say if I give you a task of re-architecting the supply chain for auto industry, okay, <laughs> what would you change in that? I, I think Toyota is an example of a company that knew it, right? And that's why Toyota, everybody, every car industry in the world is being impacted, a car brand has been impacted by, of course, the the the, the, the chip um, uh, shortages. Shortage, yeah. Um, but, yeah. but Toyota, not to call out, and they're not a, I don't think they're a Cooper customer, so there's no vested interest here for me. I, I don't think, yeah, I've, Stand to be corrected, but um, but they actually uh, ha- have been able to to overcome the the, the shortages much better yep. than some of the other car uh, brands. And the reason why is because they had much closer and better partnerships with their suppliers. Um, and there's some other car brands out there that have done a better job than others. But I I I, I do know for sure that Toyota. Uh, realized it and um, so that's an example so how would I redesign that supply chain and I'm not smart enough to know yeah because I I don't want to get too cocky here but I would much more focus on uh, building agility in your supply chain Um, optionality knowing the trade-offs not just single source things not go to because that was the 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 path right for a lot of companies even the ones that I used to work for yeah it was often this and of course, what procurement brought to the table said, guys, what if, you know, shopping bags at Lululemon is a great example. When I came yep. in, it was single sourced. I know the story is kind of out there, maybe a little bit more now, but it was single sourced. One factory in Cambodia made all Lululemon shopping bags. Yep. It's the yep. single biggest marketing collateral that the company has. So when, but nobody, nobody thought like that. And that's okay. It's my job. Yeah. There was no, there was no uh, judgment. Um, but anyway, I'm dwelling. But so that's what I would do. Redesigning your supply chain, build agility. Okay, so I am going to add one more layer there. Uh, would you be worried about any specific categories, uh, you know, in any specific industries? Uh, are you worried about any specific categories of uh, supply chain that are going to experience far more problems in the next four to six months? Um, well, I think anything that you need to put on a container is still uh, still at a lot of risk, right? I mean, the cost is high and there's lots of shortages in containers. I think it's going to taper off. I think uh, economy is going to kind of rectify that. and I think. Demand is coming down, and I hope that gives that industry time to maybe uh, rejuvenate itself a little bit. Uh, I yep. think the second the second one is if you're heavily reliant on oil, uh, I, I think you're gonna suffer uh, a lot. Uh, you know, right now the oil prices are high, demand has not really come down. Yep. So if I'm a supplier uh, in that in that <laughs> in that area, there's really no incentive for me to lower prices, right? I mean, the demand is there, so. You know, it's not like oil has gone to $110 and the demand came down. Like we we didn't really see that. The demand has actually continued to stay very, very healthy. So 
if I'm now uh, in that business. I mean, so I, I think those are probably two areas that if you're heavily reliant on oil, uh, tier one or tier two, yeah, like if some of the stuff you buy uh, is heavily contingent upon oil, like plastics or, or things of that nature, uh, you know, I, I think you're gonna you're gonna still be be feeling some pain over the next four to six months. I think then it's it'll taper off because I think you know if economies are going into the direction that I think it is, uh, we'll, we'll probably see some some softening happening soon uh, as well. So I don't know if, if that's the, where you were going with it, but uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's very insightful, and I think that's going to be extremely useful as well. So one more thing that I wanted to cover is going to be. Uh, there's a lot of innovation happening in the procurement space at this point of time. If you look at the number of technologies and the number of areas that are being developed, it's just mind-blowing to me. Okay, so in your experience, what are you going to be most excited about? Let's say if you talk about any specific technologies or the capabilities, uh, you know, developed based on the technologies. So what are you most excited about, let's say, in the next three, four years? I think, I mean, one thing that I'm excited about and to see where we're going to take it is the power of community. Um, so if there's one thing that we talk about at Coupa a lot is that concept that, you know, none of us is as smart as all of us. And that if together we stick, we, you know, we, we work together and we share best practices and we together try to problem solve uh, common uh, business challenges, uh, that we will be stronger uh, and that we will be more profitable uh, and we will create more value for our stakeholders. And so we call that the power of community or community.ai. I think we're only at scratching the surface. Um, so if you think about like what we could potentially do for category management across our community of, you know, the 3000 plus customers and seven, you know, like 7 million supplies and $3 trillion plus, you know, like think about it as the power of, um, you know, uh, Google Maps, you know, where it is the power of AI and the power of a lot of data to tell you how to get the fastest from point A to B to C to D and back to A based upon what it picks up from uh, other people that are using the same app. That's how I think about the power of community. Um, so I'm excited to see where community goes and, and extracting more value for, for our customers and our community through the power of that, uh, that data set. Um, that's one thing I'm really excited about. I think the other thing that I'm excited about is, is all the things that are happening around ESG yeah. uh, and diversity, uh, you know, build resiliency and diversity include like that is to me goes hand in hand. So I'm excited to see where that goes as a practitioner. You know, where does ESG go with all the legislation that is coming in Germany, in the UK, modern slavery, uh, corruption, bribery. Like, I think those things are only becoming more and more important. And I think it's, it allows procurement, uh, that opportunity to remain relevant and to get that seat at the table and stay there is if we can demonstrate that we can actually help execute and accelerate some of these objectives. So I'm excited about ESG, diversity, and how technology uh, can help uh, with achieving and, 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 and exceeding our objectives. I mean, if, if there's one thing that we know for sure, climate change is real, we all have to step up and lead. And I think Coupa has an excellent opportunity here to, to lead some of that conversation. We've got some of the biggest companies in the world as customers uh, to together uh, do that. And then the last thing, that I, that I might say is, you know, um, recessions are, of course, not great. But if there's one thing that we have proven ourselves is that we will always come out stronger. Uh, hit Like, look at history. We've always come out stronger. 
Um, and it's an excellent opportunity for, for companies to embrace, fully embrace the digitization of the business by management process and, uh, and to see where that's going to take us uh, technology-wise. I think that's exciting as well. Love it. And I love the way Coupa is also thinking about community because obviously other companies are thinking about community-based business models as well. Um, you know, Salesforce is big on that. So I am really excited to see what Coupa is going yeah. to do from the community perspective. On that Absolutely. note, do you have any any last minute closing advice for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I I tell I just I always want to take this as an opportunity one to to say there has never been a better time to be in procurement. Uh, historically, we have never been more relevant. We've never been more important. We've never had a bigger seat at the table, and we've never had more attention than we have today. Uh, you know, take this as an opportunity uh, to not waste a crisis because we are in a crisis. Uh, you know, politically, economically, financially, environmentally, to capitalize. You know, don't waste the crisis. I, I think it's our time. It's been our time for a while, but it certainly is our time now. So, if you're uh, in procurement today, I highly encourage your listeners to step up and lead. Now is the time. Uh, embrace technology. Uh, think about your people. Build diverse teams. Um, and and think about your process. And uh, think about your elevator pitch in procurement. Talk to your CEO. Ask for some investment. Don't be shy. And um, yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's it's this is the best time to be in procurement, and uh, and I'm very fortunate to be uh, to to play a role in it. Could not agree more. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that procurement and supply chain is where the money is. So now you have the seat. Make sure you are going to stay remain stay and and remain relevant. Uh, you know, because obviously companies can make a lot of money if they do the procurement and supply chain. Absolutely. Right. On that Amen. note, that's it for today. Uh, you know, I really want to thank you for your time and insights. Yeah, no, thank you for your time as well. It's always a pleasure. Look forward to listening to your uh, to your awesome stuff that you put out there every time. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your week and uh, always a pleasure. And I hope to see you soon. Amazing. Thank you so much. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about MVK, head over to Koopa.com. It's C-O-U-P-A dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Susan Walsh, who discusses how to normalize your product, customer, and vendor data to avoid planning and forecasting issues with your inventory. Also, the interview with Edmund Zagorin, who describes why the cost of spend is an important metric for some of the strategic sourcing categories. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you. And I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.